That's the Mile High Hoops podcast with me, Zach By, powered by my friends at Superbook Sports. Stand up, Nuggets Nation. Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hoops podcast with Zach By. Denver Sports is your home for the most Nuggets content. Now here's your host, Zach By. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Mile High Hoops podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By, And as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the podcast. Reacting to the first playoff game of these playoffs. The Denver Nuggets gave us what we've been waiting for for literally years. And it's crazy when you take a step back. Like we have actually, we have actually waited. Uh, I think you could argue three, if not four years for a Nuggets team that is completely healthy to go into the playoffs a whole in that department. And boy, did they deliver exactly what you would want to see. I mean, let me just, uh, let's just start there. Let's just, let's just start with like a guttural reaction. Reaction. That was freaking awesome. That was an avalanche that felt like 50,000 pounds falling on the head of the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the flexing of the number one seed to deliver the biggest blowout on the opening weekend of the NBA playoffs, it was just so gratifying. It's just freaking awesome, man. And let's go over some of the uh, dynamics here. Um, and then at the back stretch, we can look around the league and uh, give a comment or two on some of these other playoff games. I watch a lot of NBA basketball uh, this weekend. So let's just start with, first of all, Nuggets win 109-80. to Just an absolute seal clubbing of the Minnesota Timberwolves in Denver on Sunday night. Late-ass start, man. That I understand why it is what it is, and I'm not going to reset the dynamics of it all because it's, it's not as relevant as the game. But, man, there is something to be said for that game is not starting until almost 9 o'clock here Mountain Time. That is insane. And I tweeted this out at halftime, and you can follow me on Twitter at Byesline, B-Y-E-S-L-I-N-E. Um, like... It was halftime, and it's already past midnight on the East Coast. And like it or not, like there's an East Coast bias, quote-unquote, because half of the country lives in that one time zone. 47% of the United States of America lives in the Eastern time zone. It's a massive disproportionate number to the rest of the country. And I'm not blaming anyone, but God, I just want, I want people to see a team that they rarely see, a team that when they are on national TV, typically the game is starting at 10.30 Eastern. So, but it was freaking late here, mountain time. But it was just so joyous. The second half was just, um, I call it a rocking chair finish where you're just rocking back and forth. You're not on the edge of your seat. It's stress-free. It's, it's feel-good. Um, and that feel-good win started, in my opinion, with Nikola, um, Nikola Jokic, who did not have some eye-popping games statistically, but he definitely set the tone of the game. In the first three or four possession, um, with his approach, very, um, you know, in, in, in boxing, they say like he's, he's like a, a, the puncher, quote-unquote. That's who uh, Jokic was, and that's who the Nuggets were in general. But that first punch uh, in, that ra- in that fight that got you know, TKO'd in the, in the, in the seventh, um, that was Jokic at the start, and he was just forceful. And that is the word that I've been asking here on this podcast, if you've been following along really for, well, for years, um, but in general looking at this season saying there's still actually room for the MVP to grow um, in that department. And I thought it was a good maybe um, 
as Chris Marlowe would say on a Nuggets broadcast, a harbinger of things to come throughout these playoffs. Really good early sign uh, from Jokic, who finished with 13 points, 14 rebounds, six six assists, a steal, uh, and he did eventually foul out on a, you know a ticky tack you know whatever he shouldn't have been in the game. We'll get to that maybe in a couple minutes. But um, I thought Jokic was mostly tremendous. I mean, fifty percent from the field, he was in control. And you know we talked about this in the past with with the Joker. Is he can be? He's almost like a puppet master. He's creating or he's controlling rather, you know, the legs over here and he's directing Aaron Gordon and you know moving MPJ, you know, from one corner to another. Like he's just like directing traffic in a way that very few players, even great players can do. Um the the comparison we have used on this podcast through the years in this particular department is LeBron James, where LeBron can just be in the freaking driver's seat downshifting and go, you know putting it in the high gear when necessary for the team. He is just he represents more than just a basketball player. He is he is the sun on which all other planets orbit. So I just love what I saw from Jokic and there's still like he didn't give you everything. Now he he in terms of uh, offensively took 12 shots. Um so that is what it is. I mean, that that that, that didn't lead the team or uh, was was wasn't second on the team in in, in shot attempts. Um, but you saw him go into his bag a little bit, like the spin cycle and the um, just the 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 pivot, reverse pivot, pivot, reverse pivot, the, the you know the up and unders that he did to uh, to to cat. I mean, I know he got the one shot uh, blocked by by Rudy doing that. Uh, maybe went to it a little too much, uh, or just timed it wrong. Probably the latter. Uh, but you saw him in his bag, man. And some of the stuff, like from the you know catching it with the one hand and, and water poloing, um, Carl Anthony Towns, or, or or doing the pivot stuff and the footwork. The footwork of Jokic is, you know, we talk about like, hey, Jokic is the best passing big man of all time. Okay, and he he is the best passing big man of all time. That's that's mostly unequivocal right now. But he, his footwork for a big man, it's very, like, he's got, you know, Jamal has great footwork, and it reminds me a lot, it's very Kobe-esque, but then, like, Jokic, you don't see this every night, and then he'll just go to it, and it's like, holy moly, he has got such sweet feet, and I love to see it on, on this type of stage. Um, so, great stuff from the Joker in his 28 minutes. The fact that he only played 28 minutes is um is good. That's a good sign. That's that's a, that, that's that's good. Everyone else, or, or uh, I should say, uh, KCP and Jamal and Porter, all those guys played uh, uh over thirty minutes. But so hopefully, um, Jokic can keep that same sort of energy and keep his foot on the gas and continue to be that head of the snake tone setter, uh, for Denver. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. I want to shift gears to him because I was so impressed, especially in a game that he's you know anticipating so much. And there's nerves there. And to start slow. Like between Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray after the first quarter, they're one of nine. And it's a three-point game. And you're like, oh my gosh, is this going to be, this going to go all 12 rounds? And the way that Porter Jr. shifted his focus from shot making, which was clearly his focus at, at the outset, um, and just got more involved on the glass, man. He was so impactful. And you had to have watched the game. I mean, the stat sheet is is sexy enough. I mean, he goes for 18 points and 11 rebounds, the fourth, um, I believe it's the fourth, uh, double-double of his playoff career, to go um, with with a pair of assists and a steal. 
at a plus 22 when MPJ was on the floor. The fact that he started slow and shifted his focus is just a microcosm of him turning into a complete basketball player. He still has room to grow. He's a young player, especially in terms of just like games played um, as opposed to looking at his age. So I just, I loved it, man. And if you were watching the game, the impact that he made on the glass and just his fight and making winning winning plays that don't have to do with a pull-up three in transition is just very encouraging. And I absolutely love, love, love to see it. Um, Jamal Murray, uh, again, started very slow. He just didn't, he was missing open shots. And look, you're going to make shots, you're going to miss shots. But Jamal... You know, you you. There's almost an expectation, you know, when the sample size increases, that he's he's going to get it going. So it's a little bit discouraging the fact that it started that way, and because it was Minnesota, and because you're at home, and because other guys were picking up the slack in the meantime while you were struggling. Mainly, you know, KCP was was a good candidate in that department, uh, hitting shots early, and sort of lifting up his teammates who weren't. Um, but Murray. Again, and 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 Murray ended up with you know a a team high twenty four points and and a team high eight assists. He was really good, but if you didn't watch the fourth quarter and you just watched the first three quarters, you saw some of the struggles offensively. That's okay. I'm here to tell you that's okay. Um, this is going to be a long playoff run. Hopefully, this is one of sixteen uh, wins. And the fact that that fourth quarter happened, you know. I referred to this earlier in the season when um, the Nuggets played the Rockets earlier in the year, and Jamal was like really struggling and uh, you know coming back and trying to get his legs under him and you know getting in game shape and and they played these uh, two games against the Rockets and I'm like this has this has got to be his runway to get back and you need confidence and he ended up playing really well in those games and scoring like 31 points and just kind of gives you that nudge moving forward, even if it comes in an environment that um, is not representative of uh, what's to come. And that the fact that that fourth quarter happened and the Nuggets are up, uh, you know, I think they're up 30, um, he ended up getting it going in the fourth. And, you know, that's quote-unquote garbage time. I, I usually do not use that phrase. I don't like that phrase um, because it's not garbage time for the guys that don't get to play as much. Uh, and it's not garbage time for a guy like Jamal who is trying to get his playoff confidence back. And hopefully that fourth quarter uh, that got him up to 24 points um, is that greased runway for game number two where he can be an offensive tone setter uh, at the outset. So uh, good stuff from Jamal, imperfect. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, Jamal was two two rebounds and two assists away from a triple-double. So, um, really good stuff there. Um, again, not perfect, but Jamal was a plus 24, and that's the highest number uh, on the team for, for any player. So, when we shift gears to um, KCP. KCP, we talked a lot about this the last month, okay? KCP struggle from three have been, at this point, well-documented, at least on, on this podcast. You know, fans were upset uh, at the All-Star break. They thought that, uh, KCP should have been uh, in the in the three point contest because his field goal percentage was so good. Well, that ended up totally evaporating, right? I mean, the month of March was just brutal for KCP. Shot twenty five percent in the month of March from three, just freaking brutal. 
uh, and over a month sample size, it got to be pretty discouraging. And then he finished the the regular season. He got off to a really bad start in April, too. 0 of 3, 1 of 3. But the final game of the season, he goes 6 for 8. And we talked about this on the like preview episode leading into the uh, um, playoffs, is that, hey, this guy may have just got some confidence back. And you hope that you parlay making six threes. Six threes in a game is, is you know, really, really impressive. And the fact that he only took eight is remarkable. That's 75% from three. Of course, that's not sustainable. But I was just hoping that, you know, you could correlate him finishing the season on a high note to um, playoff success. The same playoff success he's had in other places as well. Um, so he did exactly that. And on Twitter, actually, and you got to look out for this, um, I put out my, you know, Superbook, uh, Superbook, the proud sponsor of this podcast. I put out my Superbook Super Stroll and gave out uh, one play for the game, one play for the uh, exact series result, and one player prop. And the one play for the game was the Nuggets to cover the spread. They did that in spades. Um, so we, we feel good about that. But the one prop, oh, and the exact series result, we picked the Nuggets in five, gentlemen sweep. And the one prop that we gave out, and I couldn't believe the number on this from Superbook. It was more than five to one odds, plus five twenty-five, for KCP to hit three threes or more, and he did exactly that. He goes three for six for fifteen points. Um, you know, had a couple really nice drives, had a couple really nice finishes in tra- transition, played really good defense, um, and I just think that KCP, uh, we're going to get the KCP that uh, we got uh, for the first. Uh, whatever we'd call it, three months of the season. And just, just his career in general. And that was part of my explanation. I'm not, when I picked a KCP to make three threes or more, it's like, I'm not going to overreact to, you know, a five, six week sample size. Let me pay attention more to a career. Um, and KCP certainly has had one of those. So really good stuff. And then just in general, guys, defensively, and this is maybe the most encouraging part of this entire thing. Okay, been talking about a lot of these guys personally on offense or whatever. But the most encouraging thing as a team, excuse me as I take a sip of coffee, um, the most encouraging thing as a team is that defensively, this group was smothering. Minnesota couldn't breathe. They could not breathe. Holding an NBA team to 80 points in a playoff game. By the way, that is the least amount of points scored by the Timberwolves since 2016. That's almost two presidential cycles ago. So a historic effort defensively for Denver. But guys, if that is the version of this team that we're getting on a night-to-night basis, the Nuggets have as good of a chance to be in the NBA Finals as anyone. They were so freaking good on that end of the floor. I was just so impressed uh, by the effort, by the level of focus, uh, by the help defense. Um, it just, it just dudes making plays, man. Just, just guys absolutely making plays, and they out rebounded uh, Minnesota. They uh, out assisted uh, Minnesota. Uh, they had. Uh, well, I had the, they had the equal amount of steals and a couple less blocks. And you look, they have two seven footers over there. But I, I just don't see—I don't see that size translating. Like, and this is why a, a lot of people, myself included, have really been skeptical of Tim Connolly's trade for unprotected first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. It's just—I I don't know, man. I, I like 
even beyond this series, because Minnesota's not winning this series. Let, let, let's, let's, let's skip to the front of the line. Like, Minnesota is not winning for the next six games. They're just not. They don't, they're not really in Denver's uh, class. Um, but just in general, the way that this team is built philosophically, I, I just don't like it. Um, you have Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. You should be building around those guys, and then you're going to throw a, a seven foot three non scoring center uh, in the middle of things. I just look the, the the Minnesota Timberwolves were outscored by 28 points when Rudy Gobert was on the floor. 28 guys. So um, yeah, I, I don't think it's sustainable. I think they're going to have to do something and do something major, which is problematic given the investment that they've uh, made in in Rudy Gobert. So, um, okay, let's talk about other thing, a couple other things here. Um, I have no idea what Michael Malone was thinking, um, put it, playing the starters that late, in particular Jokic, putting Jokic back in the game in the fourth quarter when Denver was up 30. Um, I can't think of an explanation for it. I, I can't. The downside as opposed to the upside, it, it's, a, it's an imbalanced equation. I have no idea. Outside of, like, like uh, what, what, what? I mean, what, what would it be? Do you, you want to stick it to Chris Finch? Um, you want to stick, is this, is he, is he, is he trying to, um, you know, I don't know, getting even better graces with Josh Kroenke and the ownership group, um, because of the, the Tim Connolly exit. Like, like, like this is where I'm at with my theories because I don't have anything that's reasonable to suggest why, um, Jokic would be put back in the game. And, um, yeah, it's just weird. I don't, I don't really know uh, what to do with that. Um, how about Christian Brown, though? How about Christian Brown coming off the bench, being, being the freaking irritant that he is? And I told you guys this during the draft process, and we've t- circled back to it a couple times. Um, Christian Brown is a prick, okay? Period. That was his reputation in high school. That was his reputation at Kansas, and I mean it in the best kind of way. I had a teammate like this. His name was Rocco Dijon. I grew up with him. And, man, if that guy was on your team— you were just so thankful, equally thankful that he was what he was going to bring to the table for you as a team, but also the other side equally thankful that um, you didn't have to uh, go against him because that guy would get under your skin in just such a um, just my God, it's just so it's just a lot. And Christian is not maybe to the degree of my former teammate, but he has a tendency. He plays as hard as he can on every possession. And he just is going to get under your freaking skin. And he got under the skin of uh, slow-mo. And you could see that, uh, you know, Kyle, Kyle Anderson just, just, just couldn't handle it. And the way that Christian kept his cool when Kyle Anderson started to kick it up a notch and avoid the double technical situation, it was just a white flag. It, it was just a white flag from Minnesota that we are getting dominated I'm frustrated, and I have this freaking rookie that is in my face on every possession. I just, I love to see it, and it creates a little skirmish and whatever. Um, and the crowd loved it, and it's all good. Um, before we move on here, a couple other notes here. Uh, Jeff Green, um, it wasn't all bad, but he's got to make shots. The defense is not respecting him. They're sagging way off him, and Jeff Green isn't giving them so far in this very, very, very young series. To, to give them a reason to not do that. He was 0 for 4 from the field, 0 for 3 from 3. He will continue to have those looks. He's got to make them pay, or uh, Michael Malone have, might have to uh, make an adjustment there. Uh, Bruce Brown, 
Bruce Brown, in 25 minutes, goes for 14 points on 5 of 8 shooting. He had three rebounds, had an assist, had a block. His aggressive nature is sort of the spirit animal for that second unit. And he has what he's done here, as, at least in the first game, is he has translated how he played in the month of March and in April, and he's parlayed it into the postseason. And the the last month of the season sucked. We talked about it repeatedly here on the podcast, on the radio show. It was a malaise. It was, um, you know, just pl- plotting. I mean, it felt like the last month of the season was three months. You know, Nuggets didn't have a lot to play for. They win that game back in early March on March 3rd against Memphis and go up like a million games in the Western Conference. And the rest of the season was kind of like a formality. But if you are looking for things to draw from in that uh, malaise period for Denver, Bruce Brown would probably be the biggest bright spot. Okay, he was fantastic the last six weeks of the season. Even in the, in the final in the final game against Sacramento, when he went for 21, in the previous game against Phoenix, he went for 31 off the bench, 14 against Golden State uh, to start the month of April. And then I'll just rattle down his game log in the month of March, working backwards, 16 points, 19 points, 18 points, 11 points, 14 points. Like, he had a great month where he sort of, um, you know, it looked like he took it personally. And to now see him play like that, um, on the biggest stage is just um, it's just fantastic. Uh, this will probably probably be a one and done for Bruce Brown. Um, he's going to get paid. He deserves it, uh, and hopefully he he goes into the open market. Um, you know, on the heels of being a significant role player on a championship team, uh, that would be something. Even a finals team would be would be great. Um, Okay, uh, I think that's all I really feel convicted about um, to talk about with these Nuggets. Uh, let's take a quick look. So fantastic, fantastic game two it, uh, will be uh, in a couple days here back at Ball Arena. That will be on uh, on uh, when Wednesday. Hold on, let me t- double chat. Now I'm like second guessing myself. Yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday evening, eight o'clock TNT. At least we don't have to wait until almost nine o'clock. It just even that half hour works, especially when you have a, a one year old daughter and a four year old son who may get you up at five o'clock in the morning. Um, a, a, a brief look around the league. Okay, um, let's start with Saturday. Um, 76ers look fantastic. They really did. Uh, they they dominated Brooklyn. I don't know. I I, just, I don't know if this is a good matchup for Brooklyn. Um, they're an incomplete team, obviously, uh, with uh, some trades and stuff that they made and some newcomers. Um, uh, Mikel Bridges, I thought, was fantastic, especially in the first half of that game. He ended up with thirty points, um, but just 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 too many playmakers. I mean, James Harden was fantastic, making seven threes, and Bede was great. Um, you know, Tobias Harris was fantastic, uh, I thought as well. Um, and then throughout the afternoon, the Celtics um, dominated the Hawks. If you looked at the final score, it says they won by 13. But if you were watching the game, I mean, they were they were a juggernaut. They blitzkrieged Atlanta the same way that uh, the Nuggets did uh, on Sunday night against Minnesota. The Cavs and Knicks series, I see that one going seven. I mean, that was a fantastic game. Um, in which the Knicks go into Cleveland and upset the Cavs outright uh, in just a fantastic, fantastic game. Jalen Brunson, I mean, the whole world has been on notice this whole year. This, this is a dude. 
this is a dude. This was this was a guy that was like almost like typecast as you know this you know Robin if if not like Alfred. Like he he's like he's he's not going to be your first best player. Might not be your second best player, but can be like a really good third best player type of guy. That's how it's been for the last couple of years anyway. Um, then he really starts to burst out of that shell in that last year in Dallas. But to see him go for 27 points in 30 minutes, just fantastic. And Josh Hart, I mean, the, the addition of him for New York has been uh, an absolute revelation as well. Um, so the Cavs lose despite just a phenomenal performance from Donovan Mitchell. Uh, so Knicks take an early lead in that series. And then Kings Warriors on, on Saturday night might have been the best game one uh, of, a, of a first round series I've ever seen. I mean, that, w- that game was so good. The intensity of the crowd. Um, the reigning champions going to Sacramento, breaking a 16-year you know playoff streak. So the contrast of those two teams uh, was fantastic. And De'Aaron Fox is just a freaking demon, just a demon. The combination of Fox and Malik Monk were, I mean, shout out to Coach Cal uh, over there in Lexington. I mean, goodness gracious, De'Aaron goes for 38, Malik Monk goes for 32, and you're talking about big time players making big time plays. Uh, in big-time moments, those two guys personified uh, that statement. Uh, and then when, when we turn the page to Sunday, uh, the Clippers going into Phoenix, this hypothetical champion already, the odds-on favorite to come out of the West, gets beat in game one. Guys, Kevin Durant's not the best player in that series. That's Kawhi Leonard. And the the Clippers were freaking phenomenal. I think their depth and size is an issue for Phoenix, who is um, uh, not a big team, and they're not a deep team. And the Clippers are both of those things, and they have an alpha dog in Kawhi who is playing like, well, Kawhi, prime Kawhi, first ballot Hall of Famer Kawhi, uh, finals MVP in multiple locations Kawhi. Um, so uh, I think the Suns are on notice. I do think they'll win game two, but I don't know if they're getting out of the first round. I really don't. I really don't. Um uh, what else here? Um, Lakers, Grizzlies. Uh, Lakers go into Memphis and win. I mean, goodness. Uh, Austin Reeves was fantastic down the stretch of that game. Um, Anthony Davis, outside of a short stint where uh, he, he couldn't feel his arm, had like a stinger type deal. Um, he was very good. Uh, LeBron James, if you just look at the stat score, uh, stat sheet, doesn't scream like you know LeBron, a LeBron classic. But if you watched it, his fingerprints were freaking all over that game. A couple huge blocks. Um, De- uh, D'Angelo Russell making shots. Um, so and then and then Rui Hachimura was just holy god. That was that was the best game that mattered that I've ever seen him playing since he was uh, in college. Uh, so good win there for the Lakers. That is a team that we're really going to keep our eye on from afar. And then finally, how about? The Miami Heat, who were going go from a play-in scenario and losing in a play-in game uh, to going to the number one seed and winning in Milwaukee, I did not uh, have that filed under things I expected to see. Um, uh, Giannis leaving with the back contusion, he fell right on his uh, tailbone uh, during that game in a very violent, violent uh, uh, manner. Um, but Jimmy Butler it was just the dog off the chain that we know him to be. I mean, that dude is freaking ferocious. Um, Tyler Hero did uh, get hurt. I think he broke his hand. Um, that is going to be problematic for the series. I do think Milwaukee wins this series. I love them in game two uh, and and have a correction. Miami sort of mission accomplished, um, maybe mindset. Uh, and I think Milwaukee will rebound. But they they aren't going anywhere. Uh, without Giannis Antetokounmpo. So we're waiting to hear an update on the, uh, his status 
uh, probably here later today at the time of recording. It's uh, it's Monday morning. So, okay, uh, that's all I got for you today. Uh, thank you very much for being here. I hope you guys enjoyed the games as much as I did, and I cannot wait for Game 2 on Wednesday night. And you already know uh, whatever happens on Game 2. Wait, before I say it, hey, rate, subscribe, please tell a friend all that about this podcast. We're going to actually come back and do another episode tomorrow, maybe with some leftover thoughts, and we'll do the video version uh, of what we did today. So I might repeat myself a little bit. But um, if you want to uh, check that out, that'll be available uh, on our all our uh, social channels here uh, at denversports.com. Um, so we'll talk to you tomorrow. And guys, whatever happens here uh, moving forward, uh, whether it's tomorrow's podcast or Wednesday night's game, we're going to come back on Thursday. We're going to talk about it all over again. Hopefully Nuggets taking a 2-0 lead. But whatever happens on Wednesday night, you already know. We're going to be talking about it right here on the Mile High Hoops podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Mile High Hoops podcast powered by Superbook Sports. Until next time.